Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you have listened to the podcast in the past, you know that I have spoken with people at all levels of government, from borough council like myself, all the way up to U.S. Senate, from Maine to Hawaii, from Florida to Alaska, and all points in between, uh, hopefully to encourage you to get involved, not just to vote, not just to donate to people or, or campaign, but also to run for office yourself because there are 500,000 elected offices in this country, and good people don't win unless good people run, and bad people win because good people didn't run sometimes. So I'm excited to talk to another good person from the great state of Arizona, one of the most important states for a lot of reasons, to talk about one of the most important kind of uh, offices to run for, and that is school board. Uh, His name is Devin Del Palacio, and uh, we're going to share his experience and stories and hopefully inspire some people today. So Devin, thank you for talking today. I appreciate what you're doing with sharing these stories and inspiring others to run. So definitely looking forward to our conversation. Great. So the first thing I always ask everybody, uh, because everyone comes to politics in a different way, is have you always been politically minded or did anything kind of spark your interest to become involved in the political process, not just running for office, but all of the things that involve? So the short answer to the first part of that question is no. You know, I wasn't always politically involved or astute to what was going on. Uh, for me, growing up, it just wasn't a conversation we had at the dinner table. You know, my mom had me at a very young age, 16 to be exact, and, you know, the focus is just more on survival. Do we have a roof over our head? You know, uh, do we have food on the table? Do we have electricity? Those things. So it wouldn't be until after high school that I really started to pay attention a little bit in terms of what was going on politically in my community. And it wouldn't be until uh, Barack Obama's 2008 campaign that I actually paid attention to some sort of politics of what was happening. Because, again, I didn't quite understand it, so I didn't really pay attention to it. Um, and, then, and then in terms of what inspired me or really pushed me to really take a full dive into it was the birth of my daughter in 2010. Um, you know, that really, that really lit a little, little flame in me and, 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 and that, you know, forced me to ask myself, as a father, what am I going to do to ensure my daughter has a safe community, has access to great schools? What am I going to do? And who are the people that are in charge of it? And so those questions, um, based on, you know, my newfound, you know, journey as a father, kind of pushed me towards community, I would say civic engagement, mm-hmm. pushed me towards civic engagement, which then led to politics. And as a father myself, I feel like being a role model to my children is is very important that I want them to not just hear from me that it's important to do things, but to see it. Uh, I'm sure since then, you know, your daughter's older now, not, you know, she's not voting yet, but um, is that important to you being a role model to your children? Oh, 100%. Listen, my daughter is now 11. She just turned 11 October 14th. Congrats. And that's, yeah, yeah, so she's you know, the big 11, and, uh, you know, it's the number one thing I, I oftentimes preach. Um, but I don't just speak it. I try to show her, you know, by example. So ever since she was little, I brought her around, you know, canvases. Uh, we knocked on doors. Ever since she was a little girl, I would take her to my community cleanups we'd have in the neighborhood. And sometimes she would ask me, like, Dad, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, or do, we, or do we have to do this? It's hot. It stinks, right? Like, but I'm like, yeah, we have to do this, and here's why. But now, like, get this fast forward to 11, 
now she's the one who's on my butt, <laughs> you know, and, and, and she's asking me if I, you know, she's, you know, she's making sure I'm doing enough for a community and that I'm always giving back and I'm helping those who are homeless or who, or who, who are hungry. Like and she's leading it and she's, you know, she's so, you know, just is involved at a way that at her age, I wasn't. Oh yeah. So leading by example is so critical. It's so important. And just when we think they're not paying attention, uh, 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 don't let them fool you. Kids are always aware of what's happening. And so leading by example has, has been a huge, huge, huge point of emphasis in our house. Now, I know that we're both biased because of our children and because of our involvement in office, but you're on <laughs> school board. And I feel like a lot of people kind of talk badly about the next generation, no matter what that generation is. But I feel like kids these days are just very socially aware more so than you or I or our parents probably were at a very young age. A hundred percent. I mean, at 11 years old, I didn't really know who was going on. What was, who was, the, I didn't know Bill Clinton. Yeah, he was the president. I didn't care. Like I just, I was 11 years old, mm-hmm. you know, I was outside playing around, but my daughter, you know, like she totally knows what's going on. She totally paid attention to the last election and this current election. She knows the issues in the community. She cares about the environment. She cares about the climate and, you know, she asked about things like, hey, you know, uh, you know, she, she the other day she asked me about electric vehicles and why doesn't everyone have one? And she just, you know, the questions she asked at her age were, weren't the questions I was asking, you know, and um, it might I might be a little biased, but I can also tell you that at 11, I was probably more concerned with what we were having at, at lunch for, you know, uh, that day at school, if it was going to be pizza or a sloppy joe instead of climate and clean energy, mm-hmm. you know, like my daughter currently is doing. So. Now, so you are involved in school where you're talking about being involved in the community is the, you know, getting involved that way. What, what's your area like? Yeah. You know, Arizona is not one monolith. So what's, where, where are you and what's it like? Well, Arizona, um, yeah, politically has been tradition has always been a conservative state mm-hmm. always, but you know, it's a true melting pot. We have a lot of transplants who moved to Arizona from Chicago, from California, Texas, uh, so we get folks from all over coming and starting families here, you know, in Arizona. Um, you know, now from my lens as a school board member and in public education, you know, Arizona has always struggled with that. You know, unfortunately, we've always been the, at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of uh, per pupil funding, how much money we spend per student, teacher salaries, you name it. We're always right there at the bottom, 49, 48, 47th. And so. And, you know, in, in terms of education, it is a very challenging place to be, not going to lie. But all the more important to have good folks run, you know, to serve on the board to help make some of these changes, right? And that's, I think, what what's part of your mission is having these conversations to help us hopefully inspire folks to become involved so that mm-hmm. we can change the outcomes that we see. And I've talked with a number of people, um, not too many people who've run for school board, but school board is often a place where you have a lot of retirees maybe you have people who have the time to be in school work because it's a lot of work actually right like it's not like some maybe some other offices where you can just have your name on there's some mayors in this country where it's more ceremonial you have a lot of meetings and a lot of work that goes into being on school board a hundred percent and you know what uh, you're you're absolutely you hit the nail right on the head an overwhelming majority of school board members are over the age of 60 mm-hmm. retired and a majority of the school members, over 70% are male, mm-hmm. um, you know, and over seven and over even 75% are white males. Mm-hmm. So the diversity 
is 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 a huge area of opportunity. The generation, uh, is, uh, you know, age gap is a huge area of opportunity. And so you're right. I think there's this misconception that folks just think it's like a, I don't know, a PTA group. You show up and you go home. But and that's not to say that PTA isn't important. It is. But when you're on the governing board, when you're on the governing board, you are duly elected to govern said school district and huge role. For example, in my district, I have a multi-million dollar budget. Mm -hmm. We got to, you know, we got to manage and figure out where this money's going to go. We're held accountable for these things. And so there's a ton of meetings. There's a ton of, you know, planning that goes into this and, and strategy, you know, if you really want to make a difference for these kids. You know, it, it seems like we need to get more young people involved in running for office anyway, but if you had a Social Security and Medicare kind of government body and it was all run by 25-year-olds, that might not give the constituency what they need. Nothing against being 25, but their goals for that would be different than people who are going to be using the program. Likewise, you know, the, the people who have kids in schools are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s a lot of the time. How do you think um, education would be if we had more younger people running for school board and serving in those boards? Listen, I, I, I think balance is important. Mm -hmm. And right now we're leaning heavily towards one generation. I think it's vitally important to have younger folks serve on these boards to bring their life perspective, um, to bring their diverse background. Um, and again, not only that, you know, they're more closer aligned with the, with the, with the most recent generation. So they know what's going on. Uh, they know what the trends are. Um, and, and, and a lot of them are more open-minded. Um, than, than the previous generation. So uh, we definitely need younger people to get involved. Um, you know, I, I, I might be a little biased here, but I think I think the, the, the position of a school board member is probably one of the most critical elected positions in the entire country. If you think about it, these are the folks that are literally helping to shape the minds of our future, shaping the next leaders of our society, or doing the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. You see, a board can literally make or break an entire community. So, I mean, these are critical positions that we need, I think, young, diverse experience, uh, for sure. And obviously, you know now that it's very important. Um, but like you said, no, no one comes into politics from day one knowing how important everything is. It's not like it comes with an instruction manual at birth. But um, <laughs> you, what made you decide that school board was where you're going to get involved and run for office? Did, did people recruit you? Did you see an issue and say... I can add something there. What what motivated you in that direction? Yeah. So number one, I, I got my start off. You're right. I didn't necessarily run for office as soon as I was like, okay, had a daughter or whatever. Mm -hmm. I actually got my start off as a community organizer. Mm -hmm. So I worked in the community registering people to vote, uh, registering diverse minority voters, people of color to vote. Uh, and, you know, I was, I was responsible of working with a pretty large group of teenagers and you know, and, and during that experience, I got, I got an opportunity to hear some of the gripes they had about their school district. I got to hear from parents about schools. And I said, you know what? Let me look into the school board thing. That might be an area I can make a difference in and really help ensure that these kids reach their full potential. Parents were complaining about not being engaged. Uh, we had a huge population of Latino parents who felt they weren't connected with their school district and lacking support. And there was this kind of issues. And I said, you know what? I think I could do something here on the school board. And I knew going into it, first of all, it's an unpaid elected mm -hmm. position. You know, there's no big money. You know, so I'm like, I'm not doing this for the money. There's no money involved. This is simply pure passion for helping kids be all that they can be. 
and ensuring that we have a healthy community. Um, and, and, and that's what really got me into it. You know, it was my experience as a community organizer that then led me on a path to run for school board. And I know this year, uh, this podcast is going up after our local elections, but um, the school boards become so politicized and the issues around it. Was it like that when you first ran or were you welcomed and it was not an easy easy path to run, but did you feel like it was less politicized in your first time running? 100%. So I've been on the board now for seven years. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, and when I first ran, it was not this polarizing. It just wasn't. It just wasn't this polarizing. And so, um, you know, it was. I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was certainly wasn't. I didn't have to think about some of the things I'm thinking about now in terms of just the potential threats that loom, potential right. candidates that want to run, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, er- early on, um, again, I would, I would say I was welcomed. Uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, I had collaborated with folks that maybe we didn't see eye to eye on everything, but we were able to work together and not, and not have that be an issue. Um, but it seems now it's become so polarized that I don't really know if, you know, if that same sort of energy that I came in the office with is still there. Mm-hmm. Now, first, going back to that first time, though, um, running for school board is a little bit odd in terms of how you get people to donate to you and how you get people to volunteer for you. And because you don't you don't want to make it political. I now people are more. But um, yeah. how did you adapt to being a candidate for school board? Yeah, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. And for me. You know, what I did was I didn't, you know, seek contributions from, you know, corporate or anything like that. I, I really was focused on grassroots, just traditional grassroots funding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got support from my community, from parents, uh, you know, from working families in my community. That, that's where a majority of the money came from. Um, I may have gotten, a, you know, I'm trying to think here. Nope, I, I, at that time, I didn't get any help from any education groups or nothing. I'm talking about this was just strictly friends, family, and other parents, and other people who believed in me and what I was trying to do, who believed in my message uh, on why I was, you know, running for school board. Um, so, you know, but that is a fine balance to walk because you do want it. I mean, these are nonpartisan positions. Right. But, you know, you know, I mean, people then can twist it and perception can be people think, you know, people feel that it's partisan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we see that here. I'm in Upper Marion Township in, in uh, the Philly suburbs. It's a great school district, in my opinion, at least, and most people's. Um, it's an, a great suburban area. But there are people who are running who may have won or not. I don't know at this point because, you know, this is after the election. But um, they're pr- trying to say that they're not political. But then you kind of look and like, no, you you are. You're funded by these different groups. You're talking about things in ways that are clearly more controversial than they need to be. Is that happening in Arizona too, where people are acting non-political, like wink, wink, but really like you just peel back a little bit and like, no, you are very political. 100%. For example, there's a new group. They just launched uh, Arizona something, something, you know, education association or school board association. And it's supposed to be an association for school board members to get professional development, yada, yada. And you look on their board of directors and executive directors and founders, they're all members of the Republican Party, mm. chairs, treasurers, etc. And it's like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be nonpartisan, but your entire board is made up from the Arizona Republican Party. That's kind of a, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of a dead giveaway. 
then you see some of their values and it's all about school choice and just you know it's more the political rhetoric that we hear instead of making it about students mm. um it's more just a political you know um again just messaging that that we all that we're all familiar with from you know either party and it's frustrating because a lot of things that to you and me both of us being uh attuned to this we can point out things and be like oh that's a whistle to this issue that's speaking to this that, that's being very political but to the average mom or dad that just seems like regular talk right like it doesn't seem as just as uh political as it really is it's pretty deceptive yeah a hundred percent um if you're someone who's not like i said in tune or whatnot it's completely deceptive mm-hmm. uh and again it's just yeah it can get, get it can get a bit frustrating you know it can definitely get a bit frustrating um but this is again all the more reason why we need to bring in more folks who are again focused on good governance and doing what's best for students not necessarily to any political party um you know it's, it's just sticking to the fundamentals of public education which is that provide quality access equitable access to all students i mean that's what it really is about helping them reach your full potential you know now i'm not saying you don't bring your personal core values with you of course you want to have core values but it doesn't have to be political now you say that but it seems like good governance has become political right like there's one party that is pro-government and pro-governance and another party that is pretty anti-government and tearing it all down so do you think there's a way to get beyond that to square square that circle or circle that square whatever the word is you're the educator um (laughs) like it, it just seems like the most basic functions of government that shouldn't be political now totally are correct and i'm and i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna be like i'm totally 1000 percent concerned with that because i don't know if we're ever gonna turn back right uh I, I really don't know i don't you know with with the growing with the with the growing speed of misinformation and people doing stuff for facebook likes or social media likes i am concerned you know with the future of governance mm-hmm. um and you know it, our ability to actually be effective at governing for the people as opposed to bickering and creating wild conspiracies and spreading misinformation for the sake of a jab here or two. I am concerned with that. And it's now seeped into local government. We see it on city councils. We see it on school boards as of most recently. And so, yeah, it's a huge problem. And there's this week as we're recording, uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland was being grilled by legislators on both sides about the issue of threats to school board members. And you had Republicans like uh, Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton who were saying that by acknowledging that there were threats to school board members, that he is silencing parent voices. On the other hand, you had Cory Booker, who I respect, who's saying um, maybe we need to take this more seriously because you know people are being threatened at their homes. They're being threatened, um, you know, at meetings where people, where regular moms and dads who run for these offices feel like they can't even stay in office. What what do you see happening when it comes to the uh, the emotions at school with school boards. Listen, you know, here's the deal. The letter that was sent out, I, look, I serve on the board of directors of the National School Board Association. I'm the chairman of the National Black Council of School Members. And, you know, the letter that we sent to President Biden in terms of asking 
you know, for, for assistance and looking into the very real threats of violence against duly elected officials was is very real. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're we're not talking about parents exercising their First Amendment rights. Of course, we encourage that. Heck, we want more parental engagement. That's not the problem. The problem is when there's people who are there to solely disrupt local government and they're making threats of violence against duly elected officials. And that has no place in any civil society or any government. And that's all we were saying. Yeah. And when the message was sent, it was contorted to, you're calling parents domestic. No. Since when did, what I say is, since when did domestic terrorism become partisan? What happened when, as Americans, we all supported just being anti, you know, being like anti-terrorism, domestic or foreign? Like, we all should stand united behind that. But now it's become so divisive that it become, you know, it's become a political jab. And the only people that suffer at the hand of this, ultimately, are students. Because when school members were threatened, they were receiving threats of violence. I know quite a bit of them who are no longer wanting to serve. Yeah. And I can't them for that i can't blame them for that you know and no one deserves you know but 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 it, so it is it is having an effect because when we lose good people well that's one more voice one more advocate that our students don't have and so you know so it, it like i said it's it's it is frustrating and i think that this misinformation and 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 you know you know just the plain out lies are is what's driving this you know it's what's driving this uh this division do you think that it started because of covid or was it happening before then because you know i know in my area people were very um upset in either direction when it came to schools and whether they opened on time or the regulations with that was that really the impetus or had this been bubbling up already i think this has been bubbling Mm -hmm. um obviously the pandemic exacerbated a lot of issues that this country hasn't dealt with in in all levels of government but 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 i do think since the election of 2016 was 2016 Mm -hmm. at the level and the lack of decorum and respect at the national level with politics that's when i saw it really start to take off um i really started to see you know this discourse not even i can't even call it discourse it's beyond discourse uh, the disrespect, the unruliness. I mean, it's just, I think it all started with that 2016 election when you had uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, running for office and we saw how he handled his politics. And then all of a sudden, everyone just came out of the woodwork and, you know, and I, I guess I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of folks really just felt that they could behave that way and it was okay and it was acceptable, um, you know, and I think that's, that's when it all started. And then the pandemic hit. Um, and then it really spiked up and then, you know, it's just escalated, uh, you know, this, 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 again, discourse is any discourse to me is too polite of a word to use. It's beyond discourse now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just blatant, you know, I don't know what to call it, honestly, but it's beyond that. And with Donald Trump and that kind of politics, um, you know, not just him, but he really became the, the, the biggest face of it, uh, is, once that level of behavior is okay, then what then what else is okay? So it kind of like moves the window to, okay, yeah, you can start cussing out reporters. They're okay. They're game to, yeah, you can treat women like that. And then it suddenly like all bets are off, right? Like if you give a little, you end up giving a lot. Right. A hundred percent. And that's where, that's where we're at. And that's exactly where we're at. Um, and I'm concerned with how long are we going to be in the space? Yeah. Uh, I don't see it getting any better. And, but I think we can 
you can mitigate some of it by having good folks in these positions and, you know, sticking together and, and focusing on the mission at hand, you know. Yeah, and I see, you know, you talk about bringing diversity to the school boards, which is sorely lacking at all levels. And I'm, you know, I'm glad in our area we're gaining diversity, I hope, in this election. Um, but uh, there, there's a big lack of that. But there's this really unfortunate pushback in towns and, and school districts across the country to even mentioning diversity. Uh, what do you see? Should we just ignore that and, and say, well, we're going to fix it or... Yeah, how what what's your perspective on how we can properly um, and faithfully address better diverse practices in schooling for all students? Yeah, well, first of all, it starts with not apologizing for doing what's right. Yes, doing what's you know we we cannot apologize for using the word diversity. We can't apologize for for calling out you know domestic terrorism. We can't apologize for calling out what's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of folks tend to do that when there's a small group of angry individuals that are shouting at the rooftops. They, they feel like they have to now, you know, well, we can't or we shouldn't say no, 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 no. What are we teaching our kids? Mm-hmm. Our kids teaching us. And as we talked about earlier in this conversation, leading by example is important. If we want to create better human, you know, if we want to have a more civil society and, uh, you know, that we need to be able to model that. And, but we don't do it by apologizing for standing up for things like diversity or being inclusive or equitable practices. Because when we lift the, the students who are struggling the most up, everyone succeeds, all students succeed, you know? And so I, I, we shouldn't, I don't think we should retreat, apologize or let up the gas, if you will, on the fight to create more equitable schools. It's the best thing that we can do for this country. It's the best thing we can do for you know, I'll even use some of the other talking points that folks like to use, you know, that are so concerned with national security. The greatest solution to addressing national security concerns is to have an educated population. Yeah. And right now, we're doing that to the best of our ability because we're fighting over things like equity, diversity, uh, history, <laughs> facts, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, again, I, I, I think if we start to backtrack and if we let, if we let folks, you know, sort of, you know, intimidate us to the point to where we don't take any action towards finding solutions, then that's when we're going to be in a real, you know, that's what we're going to be really in for it. So. Do you think that people who run for and join school boards, that it would be good to get some sort of training in terms of, you know, one, their own mental health and their own well-being, and then two, how to not, you know, cave to angriness and, and angry irrational demands whatever they may be yeah yes because here's the deal there's no school for how to be a school member you know mm-hmm. just like there's no school for how to be a councilman so i do think getting involved early before you run with any there's and there's a couple or run for something there's a couple organizations mm-hmm. that i know that do training uh, communications training um you know a bunch of different trainings um, that will help you help prepare you for, you know, when you encounter these situations. So I'm always recommending professional development. I know when I first ran, I joined, you know, this cohort that, you know, taught me how to put together a campaign, taught me how to message, taught me how to talk to folks. So professional development needs to be ongoing for new folks looking to join and, you know, looking, you know, looking to become political. And then I would even say once you're elected, continue to get that professional development, continue to seek it out. It's only going to make you a better servant. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And I know that when I first ran that people were saying that to me too. It's, But, you know, if you are one of those people who is um, retired or has an easy job, not easy, but like with time management, like a realtor, again, nothing against real estate agents, um, you might have the time to do that. What are some ways that people can make sure that they could be prepared if they're a working person to have their perspective on counseling? Yeah, look, I get it. I mean, I have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have now two girls. So I have, I have, so I have my daughter. I, I shared I got me started, but now I have another daughter um, who's three years old. I get it. You know, it, it's tough. And we're busy. We all have lives. Those who aren't retired, like, I get it. Um, but you have to be able to carve out the time. You know, you have to be able to carve out the time to do things that are going to make you a better servant so that way you can actually, you know, accomplish uh, some of the things that, you know, you, you, you want to get done. We all have a why. We mm-hmm. all have a why, why we do things, why we want to run, why we want to serve. In order to adhere to your why, you owe it to yourself to carve all the time necessary, you know, to get what you need done on what, in whatever capacity that you serve. Because if not, why are you there? Why are you there? So, you know. So, so speaking of why, the podcast is called You Should Run. Why should people put in the time and energy right now for what they might see as a thankless job to run for school board. Why would you be encouraging people to run for office in the years to come? Yeah. Well, the reality of it is if and I always say, you know, if not you, then who mm-hmm. sometimes there's been plenty of times where I wanted to walk away and not run again. But I asked myself this question. If I do that, Who's going to be the advocate for these kids? Who's going to ensure that no kid is is forgotten about? Who's going to ensure that we're fighting for equity and you know inclusive curriculum that reflects not only the student body but reflects a story of America? Who's going to be there to do that? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, unfortunately, um, the pipeline is not as strong as as it should be, and that's why I'm glad you have this show and the platform so we can share the message that hey, the best way to get involved is to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. You need to have a seat at the table. And you know the old saying, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Right. And we need more good people at the table making the decisions. Because if we don't, if we advocate these roles and these positions, then we allow for others who might not have intentions that are going to benefit all of us. And we know it's a reality. And we can't allow that to happen. Don't abdicate your advocacy to someone else. Period. Um, you know, and, and I do want to ask, because this reminds me, a, a few months ago, I talked with uh, Texas State Rep Jasmine Crockett, who um, I think she's been one of the people that's inspired me the most this year, because she, um, they, they did the walkouts in Texas on voting rights, and she's a newly elected person, so freshman people in office often are, you know, at, at the back of the line. Um, but she said that a lot of her, the members that were there the, the in the Democratic legislature, uh, yeah, Democratic Caucus, were excited that she brought some life into it uh, and that they would have done some of these things and fought back if they had had someone like her with some energy then. Um, do you feel like, not just with yourself, but you know all these other school board members, having some new people, a lot of the school board members end up really happy that you ran because they're glad to see someone new instead of um, you know, just the tired same thing over and over again. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, when I first got elected, um, I had, I had a similar reception in that, 
I bought a breath of fresh air. You know, I was excited to show up to these meetings. I was excited to contribute and share resources. And sometimes it takes a person to come in and to provide that jolt to the rest of the, you know, uh, to other governing board members or elected officials to remind them of their why, mm-hmm. remind them of they ran. Because sometimes for folks who've been around, you can forget because this work, it's tough. It is tough. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to get cynical. So it helps to have someone come in and remind you why you're in this business. And that could, you know, a spark like that can really do, you know, like you said, in Texas, it could do, it's done amazing things. And so all the more reason to have these folks continue to get involved because you never know, you might be that spark that lights up an entire movement of change. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I think people need to bring their own spark to all levels of government. Um, Devin, if people are interested in learning more about you, uh, and maybe asking questions about why they should be involved in school boards or what it all entails. Uh, where would you recommend that they go to uh, on social media to get in touch and follow you? Yeah, so please, I'm uh, you know I'm always willing to have a conversation, answer any questions, or especially when it comes to running for school board. So you could you could find me at, on Facebook at Devin Del Palacio, just my first and last name, um, and then I'm also on Instagram uh, at Devin. Numerical number four Zona. So it's Devin for Zona. Um, and then on Twitter at Devin Del Palacio. Please, please connect with me on social media. I would love to help if you're interested in running for school board, help with any questions, guidance, or connect you with any other of my uh, you know, mentors that you know could help benefit, you know, that could that could be of a benefit to you. So please don't be shy. You know, reach out, you know, let's do this together. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I really think that anyone listening, do not leave races like school board to chance. Get involved. These are the most, some of the most important races in the entire country every election. Uh, thank you so much, Devin. I hope that everyone else will listen to you, and maybe they'll run for office too. I hope so. And I and listen, Tony. I want to thank you again for providing a platform to share these stories and and to to just again to inspire people to get involved. Um, you know, I mean, that's really <laughs> civic engagement is one of the pillars of this country, and and we need good people be a part of that narrative um so thank you for what you do great well you're one of those good people maybe if you're listening you're one of those good people too and you should run check out past episodes um and obviously you can email me with any guest suggestions or topics at tonyheil@gmail.com. at gmail.com thank you Devin, and best of luck in arizona thank you Tony. appreciate it